understand how a president that claims he's the toughest president ever would do such a weak move like this. That was Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger, who's on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, slamming President Trump's Syria move on Thursday morning. Welcome to Weekend Warriors, the foreign affairs podcast that asks what else is happening in the world. I'm Essie Cup. President Trump this week has opened the floodgates in northern Syria, pulling out the only protection that Kurdish fighters there could count on to keep Turkey at bay. Well, upon our exit, Turkey swiftly responded, invading northern Syria this week. At least 16 Kurdish fighters were reportedly killed with another two civilians, one of them an infant, also killed in the attacks. Uh, Upwards of 46 people are wounded. And in just one day, Thursday, Turkey conducted 181 airstrikes in northern Syria. That's according to its own defense ministry. Turkey also used cranes to remove parts of a border wall. They've reportedly taken at least one Kurdish-held village. Now, if you didn't know much about the Kurds, well, they were American allies. We armed Kurdish SDF forces to help root out ISIS in that area of northeastern Syria, uh, which they did for the most part. And they lost 12,000 Kurdish lives in the process. And now we've left them to die at the hands of President Erdogan's army. He's killed Kurds before. He's happy to do it again. So much hangs in the balance here, guys. There are the, Turk, the, the, the Kurdish forces, the Kurdish people, the Syrians living in northern Syria, the Syrians living in Turkey, who Erdogan has threatened to dump into Europe, plus the thousands of ISIS fighters the Kurds have imprisoned, who are essentially going to be ignored now as the Kurds take on the Turks. What's the rationale for this reckless, irresponsible, and morally indefensible action by the president of the United States. The Kurds have called it a stab in the back. Pentagon State Department officials advised Trump against this. He did it anyway. Both parties in Congress vociferously against this move. He did it anyway. The president has parroted Rand Paul's talking points that he's somehow ending the endless wars. But this ends nothing. If anything, it prolongs a war that's been raging in Syria for the past eight years. I'm going to speak to Bassam Rifai of the Syrian American Council about the humanitarian fallout. But first, I want to speak to Washington Post columnist Josh Rogan. He's been on the program before. He's been tirelessly covering the conflict in, in Syria uh, for years. Josh, what do you think Trump's rationale for doing this was? It makes so little sense. Right. Well, you're assuming, first of all, that there was a rationale. And, you know, it's important to sort of just review what happened over the last week, because it's just a crazy set of events. And, you know, just a week ago, we had top State Department and Defense Department officials touting the Syria strategy that was in place at that time, especially in the Northeast, where they said they were building a buffer zone with the Turks to prevent the need for the Turks to invade Syria and kill our Kurdish allies. That was just a week ago. And basically what I can piece together from uh, firsthand accounts is that when President Erdogan called Trump on Sunday night, uh, he told him that he was going to invade Syria. And Trump essentially, uh, uh, after some mild objections, acceded to that plan. 
And that set off a chain reaction of events that's resulting in the chaos we see on the ground, but also chaos inside of our government and inside of our military. And it's important for people to understand that, you know, this decision, which was rash, but has a lot of causes, and there is a long history there, most of it bad for us. This decision was not only a betrayal of our Kurdish allies who fought and bled uh, with us to fight ISIS, but a betrayal of the U.S. military and the U.S. diplomats and the U.S. aid workers who had been sent on a mission by their president to try to bring some stability uh, to this part of Syria. And that's all in tatters. It's all in shambles. And there is no plan B for what to do next. And now the U.S. military is our bystanders in what's another violent conflict on top of all the other violent conflicts in Syria. Essentially, what I've been able to learn is that in the end, you know, President Trump was persuaded by Erdogan that this plan, that Turkey would be able to take responsibility for this area, fill it with refugees, get the Europeans to pay for it, none of which is likely to actually happen. And then he decided to spin it as sort of a campaign promise fulfilled. Uh, despite all evidence uh, that this will only make all of these problems much, much worse. So some are suggesting that Trump's business interests in Istanbul are one reason. And essentially, that means he's playing chess with our with our allies as pawns, which seems like very bad precedent. Do you think that's partly behind this? There is no doubt that President Trump sees a kinship with Erdogan. Uh, he feels like they're friends, and he feels like they get each other, uh, because essentially they're both corrupt businessmen who are trying to exert authoritarian power right. over their democracies. Okay, now the yes, he's Trump has business interests in Turkey, but it's far more likely that this decision was born out of two things. One, you know, President Trump's complete lack of faith and trust in his national security establishment, which he see, he's seen himself at war with mm. since the very beginning, but especially recently. And two, his overall desire to uh, get out of Syria, which he's held for three years. And despite like occasional flitters of bombing this for a second mm -hmm. or speaking of about that for another second, uh, President Trump has called Syria nothing but sand and death. He doesn't care. Mm -hmm. And he's happy to hand it over to someone. And he doesn't much care who. But and that is something that most of the military and State Department people can't rationalize. They can't understand it and they can't agree with it. But we I mean, U.S. troops are still working with Kurdish forces, SDF forces elsewhere in Syria. So it feels like this particular withdrawal in the north is a real concession to Erdogan and 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 isn't so much about quitting Syria entirely, because we're still there. Well, what's interesting is in the cleanup after the call, which took place over the next two days while the chaos was unfolding on the ground, State Department and Defense Department officials scrambled to come up with a rationalization mm. and to say that this was only a limited withdrawal of 50 troops that were directly in harm's way that they couldn't protect. Uh, privately, what officials will keep telling me is that they blame Erdogan, not Trump. Okay, And the, their argument is that Erdogan broke his agreement with the United States, which is totally true. Uh, Erdogan will probably say we didn't hold up our end of the agreement, which is also totally true. Uh, regardless, the fate of the remaining thousand troops in Syria is not decided. Even the people inside the military and the Pentagon don't know what's going yeah. to happen. My information is that the SDF has told the U.S. military Forget it. The partnership's over. If you're not going to help us mm -hmm. when we're literally getting murdered, then we're not going to help you. So you can consider that partnership as of this moment dead. 
Okay, Mm -hmm. and now, of course, that increases the incentives and the excuses for Trump if he wants to pull the rest of the troops out. However, it is also true that everyone in the military and the Defense Department and the State Department and the intelligence community thinks that would be another foolish disaster. Yeah. A senior U.S. defense official, in fact, tells CNN that Turkey's incursion into Syria, quote, has already had a detrimental effect on our counter ISIS operations that they have effectively stopped. What happens with that? There is no plan for that. And that is true and shocking and horrible. And, you know, there wasn't a very good plan for these guys in the first place. And, Mm -hmm. you know, President Trump likes to repeat his gripe that the Europeans won't take back their ISIS fighters. That's only some of them. Mm -hmm. You know, another 60,000 of them are from Syria and Iraq. They're not going back to Europe. Uh, They live there and they've been holed up in these refugee camps and IDP camps that are essentially run by ISIS anyway, with a few aid workers and a few SDF troops uh, for years. Okay, and they've just been waiting for this and they've been planning and Mm -hmm. resting and scheming and just begging, you know, for the opportunity where their two greatest enemies, ISIS's greatest enemies are the Kurds and the Turks would fight each other. Right. Leaving them to run rampant. And you could be sure that's what's going to happen. Well, it just blows my mind that Republicans a Republican president could be responsible for unleashing thousands of ISIS terrorists like the worst people on the planet into Europe. And I'm old enough to remember when Republicans jumped on Obama for, like, releasing a couple guys from Gitmo. I mean, are Republican lawmakers really prepared to own this? I mean, this is like Lindsey Graham's point, is that when Obama left Iraq, we should have learned the lesson that that was stupid, and Trump's essentially repeating the same mistake. You know, when when you talk about somebody like Mitch McConnell, it's just, it's so obvious that this is such a, going to be such a disaster that, they want to come at, you know, they have a personal interest in, in making sure that they weren't in support of it when ISIS comes back, because that's bad politics for everybody. Right. And, you know, in the end, the Republicans are back Trump on almost anything. And just the fact that they couldn't bring themselves to do it on this should be a stark illustration of what a terrible and dangerous yeah. and reckless decision it is. And either way, there's no way, even if you believe that you know, this is the best thing ever, and we should just get out of Syria, a la Tulsi Gabbard. There's no way you could defend the way that he did it. You know, right. there's no possible explanation for, you know, doing this over a phone call without any preparation, without talking to anybody, yeah. and just, you know, sending all of our troops who are in harm's way every day, not to mention our Kurdish allies, uh, into even more danger. Yeah. Well, I, you know, if you talk to people in the Obama administration— and I've talked to many, they will say that Syria was one of his biggest failures. It was a it was a, a failure multiple times over. A lot of mistakes were made. But what Trump just did, I think, imperils that region in a much more significant and costly way. And not to mention our legitimacy, our believability um, to to other would-be future allies around the world, trusting that when we say we've got your back, we mean it. Right. So you've been ticking off, like, the horrible consequences of this mess. And you mentioned ISIS, and you mentioned the lack of U.S. credibility, and the, the Kurds are going to get slaughtered. Here's a couple more. You know, there's Iran is going to take advantage of this sure. in, uh, expansion into the region. Here's another one. The Assad regime is going to strike a deal with the Kurds. The Kurds will have no choice. And then they're going to come in and, and 
torture and murder and slaughter people. Here's another one. This whole idea of a political solution, which was pretty far-fetched in the first place. Yeah. Well, this was our leverage. We had this thing called mm-hmm. Northeast Syria, and we were managing it, and we were in control of it. That's gone, too. Mm-hmm. Here's the fourth thing. You know, the U.S.-Turkey relationship is now totally ruined because you're going to have both parties in Congress trying to sanction Turkey yeah. for murdering the Kurds. That could be a a, a, a a damage to the U.S.-Turkey relationship for a generation. And I could keep going. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, but like if I had to choose one most horrible consequence, it's the consequence for the Syrian people. OK. Yeah. And they're the ones who are who are living under those bombs, whether they're Kurdish or Sunni Arab or Shia or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, they just saw their horrible, horrible situation get much, much worse. Yeah. Because this was after five years of ISIS relatively getting a little bit better over time and all of that's ruined and you know all of these people are going to suffer greatly because of our stupidity josh rogan thanks so much for your great reporting and your insight and as always for for reporting on the story and coming on weekend warriors to talk about it anytime this week on boss files lando lake ceo beth ford says that despite the coronavirus outbreak Farmers are still working hard to bring food to the shelves. Yeah, there's plenty of food right now, and actually farmers are still working. This is an essential industry as defined by the government, but it was actually as defined by all of us, and we know that. Tune in for the latest in our series of conversations with leaders about how they're coping with all of the uncertainty and the challenges presented by the coronavirus pandemic. Now, I want to talk to Bassam Rifai of the Syrian-American Council. Bassam, the, the SDF, Kurdish forces, say Turkey has carried out airstrikes on civilian areas already. And we know that at least two civilians, including an infant, have, have been killed uh, in strikes. Is this—do you think this is going to be a slaughter of the Kurdish people? I mean, I, I hope to God that it's not a slaughter of the Kurdish people, but I think that there's a distinction that needs to be made. Um, you know, the, the Kurdish people are not represented by um, the PKK, by the SDF right. or by uh, uh, YPG or, or other other factions. The Kurdish people, the Kur- Syrian Kurds are uh, just as oppressed in those areas and any any dissent on their part from um, yeah. The military factions of the Kurds is is uh, being brought down on them, just like it's being brought down on the Arabs in that area as well. Uh, so uh, I hope to God that a slaughter of the Kurdish people don't happen in that area. They are our allies. I, I should be clear about that. Well, and the plight of the Kurds, um, it's well documented ever since the dissolution of a, a treaty after World War One that left them essentially homeless. They've been displaced ever since. They've suffered a genocide, ethnic cleansing. And they were hoping that fighting for the U.S. in this small Syrian territory would give them a small state, finally. What's what's in store for the wider Kurdish population in that region? Well, that, that's always been their goal from the beginning, is to create a, a state for the Kurdish people. And and uh, I admire that, that goal because that's the same goal that uh, this the Syrian people uh, began with when when the war began against Assad, they were oppressed under Assad, yeah. um, and and so the the Kurdish people are in the same fight as the Syrian people, uh, the Syrian Arabs. Uh, both are oppressed, and both both are now um, fighting the, the the same kind of war. Mm. Um, so you know the 
the YPG and its and its political branch, the PYD, and they're affiliated with PAK with the PKK in Turkey, yeah. which is the designated terror group in Turkey and the United States. Yes. Um, you know, they they don't represent the values of those Kurdish people, and they need to be protected uh, because they are under threat now. So, what do you think the U.S. should do now? Well, Turkey is our ally. They are our NATO partner, and they were pivotal in preventing the Soviets from overrunning Europe after World War II. Um, and, you know, to, the, the YPG, uh, SDF, uh, they are, they are, I should say, they were our partners. Uh, ISIS is our enemy. The Russian government is our enemy. The RGC is our enemy. Bashar al-Assad is our enemy. Uh, and they are agitators in the region. Um, what it comes down to is civilians in Syria, both Kurdish and Arab alike, are victims. Uh, we can and should immediately deploy more assistance to the SDF-held uh, areas south of, of uh, the buffer zone in Turkey uh, and seek to establish that. We should that, That's what Turkey is seeking to establish. We should send military, diplomatic, and assistance advisors there now to credibly deter anyone from encroaching on those areas and to ensure that ISIS does not re-engage there. And we should also augment SDF uh, personnel watching over the 70,000 ISIS prisoners and their families, not just the two that President Trump boasts about, we, uh, and, and, and make sure that we repatriate uh, foreigners among them who, are pro- who, sh- who should be prosecuted. And we should also spend less time bashing Turkey on this because, like I said, they are our ally on it and engage in quiet diplomacy with Turkey to ensure that the buffer zone doesn't, doesn't extend beyond the 30-kilometer depth. Well, it doesn't seem like there was much negotiating. I mean, Erdogan asked the president to let him enter into Syria and take take the Northeast, and Trump said okay. Yeah, which, you know, uh, is, is surprising to me. I think it was surprising to uh, people in the Pentagon, uh, no less. Yeah. And I think yeah. that the... Yeah, it was it was a real shock. And I, I think that the way it was handled was very poor um, and and puts us, our goals and our 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 work for the for the last couple of years, at least uh, at risk, um, which is why we also need to support efforts aimed at helping Turkey to resolve, you know, its issues with the PKK. And uh, re- we should also rededicate ourselves to denying Assad and his and his his cronies, his mercenaries now write victory in, in Syria because in the end. Well, you know, there's no will. There's true. no will here to do that. I mean, you know, the time to have done that has come and gone. And I think this latest move really illustrates just how disinterested, you know, the Trump administration is uh, in in engaging there politically, diplomatically, militarily or any other uh, way. And, and you're at, and you're absolutely right. But when it comes down to it is we were focused on ISIS and ISIS was simply a, a symptom of the war that that began. Yeah. While Assad was always the main cause of it. And 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 right now we're in a position where the reemergence of ISIS is a real is a oh, real yeah. possibility. Yeah. And and in order to do that, we need to find ourselves true support again. And, and rather than just simply pulling out like this and, and um, disenfranchising our partners, um, yeah. we need to get 
get back in and, and hold control because if we don't, we don't matter anymore. Yeah. Well, I think, um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to be watching the fallout from this decision on multiple fronts for days, weeks, months, maybe years to come. Basam Rafai, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Essie. And thank you for listening to Weekend Warriors. I'm Essie Cup. Tune in next time. <laughs>